Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. <laughs> Can yeah. you hear cheesy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Violet's outside. This is one more benefit of working from home. Lots of whiny dogs. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to discuss taking up space, literally, and especially as we continue to work from home. Then in Hollywood Jobs, we've got a special guest, Fantasy Island's music supervisor, Melanie Mitchell. Next in Amplify, we'll highlight a new cookbook that features simple feasts and healthy eats. And finally, this week's Hollywood Hack will help you help others. Yes. So, Liz, we got some great responses. Yes. Before we dive in, in episode 245, we talked about a comment that uh, Dante Spinotti made on our first pilot about how every day he was accomplishing miracles (laughs) and yet people still wanted more. And we asked if listeners had that same experience, and we got some great responses. Trisha said, Hi, I work in elementary education where we regularly work miracles on a shoestring budget, yet no one is ever satisfied. What makes it especially frustrating is that the people who are most vocal about their dissatisfaction haven't been in a classroom since they were students, have no knowledge of child development, and expect everything to be done the way it was when they were kids, instead of evolving based on research. There was a brief period last year when the schools all went virtual and parents got a small taste of what we do when our work was appreciated. I think it lasted less than a month. So you probably aren't surprised that I love hearing that someone as lauded as your cinematographer got the same treatment. I mean, yes, we should have immediately thought of teachers with this. Yes, They do work miracles and everyone expects more. Yes, and then we got another fantastic email from a teacher, Mary, who wrote, Rebel Questioner here, who loves how your podcast relates to so much, not just writing in Hollywood. Yet I did start out trying to see if Hollywood was my calling. Back in the year 2000, I had the opportunity to be a PA on a movie called The Family Man. 
Brett Ratner directed, and Dante Spinotti was, as you said, a very charming and wonderful human to meet. When he found out I was from Rochester, New York, he called me Maria, I'm really a Mary, from Eastman Kodak Land. I had a great experience on a film that was all about following your heart, and I soon did so myself. I returned to Rochester and eventually became a teacher. As I listen to you both, I can apply your ideas and lessons not only to my own profession, but to what and how I teach my fifth graders, a job where what we do every day is miraculous, a teacher. We are never doing enough, but literally doing everything for every heart, soul, and mind in front of us every day. We are criticized constantly and undervalued always. We spend the money from our side hustles to have things we want our kids to have. When we advocate for our profession, we are told we are selfish. I'm now in a school in a community that is rather affluent, but we have these struggles and more. We have kids that we nurse, parent, counsel, and fight for daily let alone teach. I feel for my colleagues nationally and locally who aren't paid enough and whose students don't have the support systems that make them ready and available to do their best learning. Years ago, I wanted to change the world through art, through film, and now I just hope to change the world by getting even one of my kids to be a force of change. I believe they will do it. I love this from Mary, and it's so true. I mean, every word, Mary, we agree. Yes. And thank you for what you're doing for your kids. I'm sure you're an amazing teacher. Yes, and it definitely puts our complaining um, into perspective, Sarah. Yes, it sure does. (laughs) Okay, let's dive into From the Treadmill Desk Of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's Take the Room. Yes. Okay. So many people are working from home and we're finding corners and we're finding weird little nooks in places to put our work lives. And as someone who is soon-ish to move into a new house, (laughs) I have decided to take the room, which Mm -hmm. means I'm moving from, you know, our house in LA had four bedrooms, one of which I used as an office. The house we're moving into has three bedrooms, and I am taking what would be the guest room and making it my office. I'm just like, I will find another way to accommodate guests comfortably. But now that we work from home, I just, I have to take the room. I don't want to be putting my treadmill desk in the TV room and figuring out how to kind of work, live in the same space. I am taking the room. Yeah, and Sarah, I think this is a revolutionary idea, the idea of giving up the guest room. Now, obviously, many people don't have a guest room, but for those who do, I think it is seen as sacred space. Once you said this, I broached it with Adam. I said, we could turn our guest room into an office because how often do we have guests? Not often. And he was like, we have an office. And I said, yeah, but we share it. I mean, we could each have an office. And he was just like, uh, he was just (laughs) scandalized. He was like, no. (laughs) But I do think it makes a lot of sense because this work from home thing is real, which is what I said to him. I said, I don't think we're ever going to not be working from home to some degree. And I mean, poor Adam, because I have actually taken over the office to such a degree that he sits outside working with his (laughs) cap and his his, uh, jacket, you know, zipped up to the top, (laughs) shivering out there. But I do think it's going to be more and more necessary for people to be sane to find ways to have that room. Yeah. No, and I will say I did kind of agonize over it. And I talked to the people who are my most frequent guests. Mm. And I was like, how would you feel if you were in this room and like a 
fold-out sofa? Would you be comfortable? And they were all very supportive, which I appreciate. But the fact is, I need the space. Yeah. We are working from home. That is going to continue indefinitely. And it's like, now our offices are at home. It needs to be done. You have to take care of yourself. Yes. Sarah, we were discussing this with Lauren, our assistant, and she was saying kids may have to start sharing bedrooms who didn't have to before in order to give parents a space to work in because it's just essential. Yeah. Priorities are shifting, and I think they will continue to shift. Yes. Whether it's for the better, I couldn't say. But the- <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's different. Whether it's better, yeah. we don't know. Yes. It all goes back to Virginia Woolf, a the room, room of one's own. Yes. A room of one's own. Side note, Sarah, you know, my mother's never had her own room. I know. She shared a room with my aunt growing up, and then she went to college and had a roommate, and then she got married spring break of her senior year in college and lived with my dad. She seems fine with that. (laughs) It always strikes me as very interesting. Yeah. Coming up, we're talking to Fantasy Island's music supervisor, Melanie Mitchell. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, it's time for our Hollywood Jobs segment, where we talk to a variety of people with fabulously interesting Hollywood (laughs) jobs. And today we're talking to Melanie Mitchell, who is the music supervisor for Fantasy Island. Melanie's been a music supervisor for film and television for over 12 years. She got her start as a music coordinator for series such as Comedy Central's Workaholics and NBC's This Is Us. She recently supervised two seasons of Freeform's Everything's Gonna Be Okay and was fortunate to have four films premiere during the pandemic, including Sony's The Broken Hearts Gallery. She just wrapped Maya and Bialik's writer-director debut as they made us, and she'll soon be starting up on season two of Fantasy Island. Hi, Melanie. Hi, welcome. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, Melanie, first things first, I'm not sure if a lot of our listeners know exactly what a music supervisor is. Can you explain what you do? Absolutely. So I get that because when I wanted to be a music supervisor, what I thought happened was you just pick whatever song you like and it goes into the show and it's that simple. (laughs) Obviously, there are a lot more moving parts to that. Music supervision means that you oversee every aspect of music in a TV show or film. So that can be 
as simple as Ruby's walking around her apartment and she's humming. What mm. is she humming? Is it clearable? Uh, how much does it cost? Can she sing the song that we want her to sing? All of those factors kind of we have to take into consideration. It's also, are there performances? Is there a band? Is someone singing? Is someone dancing to a song? And we have to get that cleared so that they can do choreography. And also it could be, they're in a cafe. What does the cafe sound like? They're in the hotel lobby on Fantasy Island. What does that sound like? These are all things that we have to oversee and also work with the composer, the music editors, the showrunners, the producers network. It's very collaborative. And you also find the fabulous songs for like the end of the episode where the emotional thing is happening. And yeah. it's that's like, the best part. And that's hard. It is hard, <laughs> you know, because there's a lot of good music out there, but also you have a very distinct vision for what you want your show to be. And I want to be able to give you the best version of that to convey whatever you want Fantasy Island to be. And we should mention there's a budget. And our budget <laughs> is particularly, we like to say lean. We think it sounds better than low. Melanie, you, we should tell everyone, work wonders with our budget. You, you. find up-and-coming artists or libraries that we can get for an affordable price. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, for me, that's kind of the sweet spot. And that's actually the part of the job that I love the most. I've worked on things that have giant budgets where people can have whatever they want. And there's no there's no challenge in that. There's no making a unique soundtrack. Mm. There's no kind of breaking these up and comers that no one has heard of yet. I, I kind of love finding the new things that make our show have its own unique sound. And I have a lot of people help me do that. I have these good connections with indie labels, publishers. They know that I'm working with a small budget and they know that uh, they know the kind of sound that we need to have and they'll pitch me music that works for the show and within budget. So it's that's also a team effort, but we've been very lucky to have some amazing artists. Amazing, truly. You have found just the most wonderful music for the show. Now, oh, thank you. Do you listen to just a tremendous amount of new music? I do. I would say, I mean, I know I send you to probably three or four options for each scene when it comes down to it, but to get to those three or four songs, I've probably listened to 70 or 80. Wow. Yeah. And then I whittle it down to 10 or 15, and then I'm like, oh, I like all of these, but then it goes down to three or four so that you can have the best to pick from. And what are you looking for? Like, are you looking for a certain emotional response that it elicits in you so you know how it's going to affect the audience? Definitely. But also, I, after working, you know, we did season one, and we were trying to figure out the musical landscape, everything from the the theme song down to what would play in Rourke's cabana. We figure that out. And then it's, I kind of have an idea of what you two want. And that's my job is really to fulfill your vision. And if it evokes the response that I think you want, then it works for me too. Is season two for you the way it is for us, which is much easier, I say that in quotes, than <laughs> season one, right? Because season one, all of us were working together to find the tone of the show. We didn't know what it was. And it is such a collaborative medium, which is why we like it. But season two, it feels like we all sort of know what direction we're going. And it does make it just less stressful. 
But for us, I don't know. I mean, you haven't started yet because we haven't started production, but do you think it'll be a smoother process? I think so for sure. I mean, first season shows, it's always tough to just figure out that landscape of how we want it to sound. And I think now we've kind of established the baseline. And I think season two is just going to be fun. Like we know how, how, you know, we have our theme song. We, we have the basis for what the island sounds like. Now we can just try some new things and, and throw things at the wall and see what works. So, Melanie, what does a day in the life of a music supervisor look like? Who are you talking to and working with every day? Um, every day is different, which I love. But my day basically revolves around a really detailed to-do list. Because especially, let's say we're shooting Fantasy Island and every episode that I'm working on is in a different stage. So... Maybe we're on episode four and it's going into production. And so I go through the script and I make notes of these are the on-camera performances. Someone is singing this. This is the priority of what has to happen because I have to make sure you have all of that stuff cleared before you shoot. Then maybe Dave is editing episode three and he is asking me for music for a montage or he's saying, you know, you sent over this playlist of music for the cafe and it's not quite right tempo-wise, can you replace that? So I'll be doing that for episode three. And then maybe episode two, we're having a spotting session. And that's when we all get together and go through the music and see what's working and what's not and how to fix it if it's not working. And then maybe on episode one, we've completely wrapped. We've done the sound mix and I'm doing the paperwork licensing each song and also doing the cue sheets so that we make sure the songwriters get their royalties. So it's it's just all over the place every day. Melanie, this is reminding me that we should probably give you a heads up that a main character is singing a song in episode two. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm making notes. We should get into that pretty quickly. <laughs> yes, that's, we should. That's probably a good idea. I'll make some notes to to circle back with that tomorrow. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) And Melanie, so many people want to be doing what you're doing, or they want to be in the music business in some way. They love television. They want to do what you're doing. It doesn't seem like an obvious path. How did you get to where you are, and what do you want to tell people to do if they want to do what you do? Well, so I had a really unconventional path of getting in because I moved to LA from North Carolina in my early 20s. And I knew that I wanted to be a music supervisor. But like you said, it's hard to know how to do that. It's not something that you get a degree in or, you know, people just know how to do it. So I started, um, I did a lot of work in development and I worked in production. And I just figured if I work in this long enough, I'll figure out how to be a music supervisor. And ultimately what happened was, as you know, when you intern for long enough in Los Angeles for free, you run out of money. So (laughs) someone suggested that I be a stand-in for film and TV shows, which I did for a couple years. And I ended up getting this great long-term gig on a show called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And I basically learned how TV was made, you know, 16-hour days, learning every crew position, how departments work together. And at the same time, I was making these great friends and they knew that I wanted to be a music supervisor. So when the music supervisor for Studio 60 came to set one day, Anne Klein, I talked to her and I said, what do I need to do? I want to do what you do. And she said, you can either take a class, which they're kind of hard to find, or just find a music supervisor and go to work with them and learn on the job. 
you know, I said, I probably can't do that because I finally have this great gig where I'm making money and I'm paying my bills. So this is going to be a dream deferred. But as TV works, Studio 60 got canceled after one season and I had to make that choice. And I, I decided to risk it. And I reached out to a music supervisor who I really admired and said, can I come work with you and just learn from you? And she was kind enough to let me do that for years. And that's, I, I got, I was her music coordinator. I got paid to learn on the job. Wow. That's so great. And how long have you been on your own? I mean, officially on my own, probably five or six years. Mm-hmm. Well, but you're never done learning. I yeah. mean, as you know, something happens every week that I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. And I will reach out to someone who's done it before. Mm-hmm. What I love is that, I think that is exactly what we need for Fantasy Island. I think that's probably why you're so good for this particular show is that we have all of these challenges, but it's just for you. You're just like, well, we'll tackle that. Yes. (laughs) We'll make that work. (laughs) It's so funny. You know, Genevieve, Genevieve Vincent, our composer and I, we talk about this all the time. We always say, you know, there are so many people in our industry who if you give them a challenge, they'll say, I don't know how to do that, or that's not my job. And she and I are both of the mindset that if you want to keep working with people, if you want people to respect you, it doesn't matter if you know how to do it. It doesn't matter if it's your job. You find a way to make it happen. And that's when people start to depend on you, and that's when they will continue to hire you. And I think that's how you build a career. Absolutely. Yes. And we are so appreciative of the fact that you and Genevieve have given us such an amazing sound on a budget. I don't think anybody listens to Fantasy Island and, and would think that we're on a low budget. It sounds fantastic. So, And Genevieve is a miracle worker. And, yes. you know, thank you both for having me on the show because especially during the past few years when things have been not that joyful, working on the show gives people a lot of hope and that that makes my life a lot happier too. It's definitely nice, I think, right now to be working on a show that is positive and uplifting and and also really pretty. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, are you back on the it island helps. now? We're going soon. We're okay. planning our travel. So we'll be back on Fantasy Island very soon. And then we'll all be in many, many sessions together <laughs> starting in a few I weeks. I will see you on a lot of, of my computer screens. Yes, exactly. Melanie, thank you so much. It's been so fun thank to you talk so to you. Much. Thanks, oh, Melanie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a huge fan. And Melanie, if people want to follow you on social media, where should they find you? Um, I would say on Twitter, it's uh, Melanie, spelled M-E-L-A-N-Y-M, or on Instagram, Uh, at Melanie Mitchell. Great. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you both. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Yes. Okay, Sarah, it is time for our Amplify segment in which we amplify the work of women and people of color. And today you are amplifying a new cookbook. Yes. My favorite cookbook author, Michelle Tam, and her husband, Henry Fong, who does all of the photographs and illustrations in her cookbooks, have a new cookbook out. It's called Nom Nom Paleo, Let's Go, Simple Feasts and Healthy Eats. So ever since I started my sort of, you know, health journey many years ago, which the pandemic has kind of smacked around unpleasantly, but but I have been a huge fan of Michelle Tam and her cookbooks. She makes really easy, simple, healthy, 
paleo, but you can make them non-paleo if you want to have rice noodles or Mm. something. Paleo meals that are so delicious. Okay, so Liz, you know I have talked about magic mushroom powder for years. (laughs) (laughs) It is my favorite kind of spice combo to put on eggs. It is non-psychedelic, just to be clear. (laughs) And that came from Michelle Tam's first cookbook. And this cookbook just came out and it was sort of pandemic inspired some of the meals, just making them very comforting and homey and the food that you want to be eating right now that will make you feel better, but also be really healthy. So anyway. Are they fairly easy recipes to follow? Well, this is the most important thing to me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And what's nice is she has recipes for sort of foundational items like spice mixes and other things that you can use in multiple things. Mm. So it's just all very integrated and works together beautifully. And she has two awesome kids and her husband does like cartoons of the kids and how they react to the meals. They're just like they're actually entertaining to read. And the recipes are good. So today I want to amplify the amazing Michelle Tam and Henry Fong. Nom nom paleo, let's go. I mean, it's a great title. Um, I know. <laughs> I should also mention, Sarah, that it's Whole30 compatible. A lot of our listeners like to do it the is. Whole30 either for 30 days or for a lifestyle. So note that. And we'll link to it in our show notes at happierinhollywood.com. Coming up, a Hollywood hack that helps you give back. But first, this break. I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local Local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Okay, Liz, it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. Changing the present charitable gift card. Okay, so Liz, explain what the Changing the Present charitable gift card is. Okay, Sarah, this is something we both got from Sony, the studio who makes Fantasy Island. Sony sent us this for Christmas. I thought it was such a great idea. What it is, is it's a gift card that is tied to a website with many, many, many charities. So some people say, oh, we've made a donation in your name to these four charities. But this gift allows the person who receives it to choose the charity for themselves, which is just really nice. So you get a card and it has a code on it and you go to the website and you peruse all of the different charities and then you can make the donation and you just use their code. 
We will say it was like a thing to figure out how to do it. (laughs) But once we did it, it was obvious. Right. The website is not terribly obvious or easy to navigate. You have to kind of figure it out. But it was really fun. I sat down with Violet and looked through the various options. And we ended up splitting the amount between several animal charities. So it was just fun. It was fun to sit with her and go, oh, we could give buckets to horses here and we could do all these cool things. So we recommend it. It was a nice way to do something good in the world and also let people choose where they want those gifts to go. Yes. Sarah, you'll be happy to know I gave to Best Friends, which is the place that you're such a fan of. Now that I'm Miss Dog Person, <laughs> I was moved to give my allotment to Best Friends. Yay. I love Best Friends. Anyway, a great gift. We're after the gift season, but we always need gifts for something. So we wanted everybody to know about that. Again, it's called changingthepresent.org is the website, and we will link to it in the show notes. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please follow us if you haven't already. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, king of remote recording. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing from Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at SFain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, I was laughing when Melanie was saying she's working on episode four, three, two, one, all at the same time. I'm like, okay, we're all doing the same thing. We're all doing it. Yep. (laughs) From the Onward Project.